Welcome to Spread Talk with Pam and John, also known as The Calm, Before the Storm. Our purpose is to elevate the conversation and amplify special education resources. And our why is all about the kids. You know, Pam, there are so many organizations and, and people around Texas who are just making it happen for kids with disabilities. So let's make this a platform to celebrate their efforts because special education is about making the impossible possible. Okay, well, we hit the record button. That means we're live and we're on air and we're jumping back into this bed talk thing. We hadn't done this in a while. Pam and I have done a few of these virtual kind of Zoom sessions where we've been able to celebrate some of the work going on around the state. And right now, one thing we do know is there is a lot of work going around you know, on in the state and, and there's some really innovative things going on just out of necessity with COVID-19 and just all of the uncertainties and our schools are just kind of just reinventing our, our system as we go and TEA is trying to support every way they can. Of course, ESCs are doing the same, but Pam, it sure is good to be back on. What you, what, what you got going? Hey, John, it really is. I've been working, believe it or not, I've been working on the CSIP. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's my job and to get our, do our reporting. So that's been my last few days, weeks, it seems like, trying to get all that data ready to submit to the agency. That's no small so, task. I'll tell you what, so, I know Chris has been in on that and hitting me up a little bit on that. Luckily, Chris, yeah. our director here at ESC 12 manages that, but man, and it's taken on a little bit of a new, uh, a little bit of a new face, I think, that new CSIP. Right, new, right. Yeah. So this, that's. Yeah, I'm glad this one is ending. And we're mm -hmm. starting something different. So mm -hmm. I'm excited. But hey, um, but I'm more excited about today, though. That's a C-SIP aside. Well, uh, who be, who's in the room, Pam? So who's in the room? Who's so, in the virtual room? I'm right. Wiley. I'm the project manager for the Inclusion in Texas Network. Good to have you on with yeah. us. Thanks. And I'm Laura Wilk, and I am um, the... Program specialist at TEA who's over the inclusion initiative. Uh, TEA has a lot of different work streams that have to do with inclusion and supporting our state and moving towards inclusive practices. And one of the highlights and the most important um, parts of my position are working with Kara Wiley at Region 20 on our inclusion in Texas network. So, so honored to be here and talking with you all today. Good stuff. Hey, I'm going to tell you something, because I, as John knows, and tease me about me being, being a veteran and, and somewhat old, is that uh, when I started at the service center many years ago in, in Wichita Falls Region 9, I came on to work in the area of inclusion, and that, that was the beginning of, you know, inclusion in Texas, which has morphed over you know, being AGC and whatever else, but I was so excited to see that we're getting back to the focus of inclusion. So uh, yeah. it's great to see that. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I, I'll tell you what, AGC to PGC to, you know, inclusion in Texas. And this is to me one of the most important in initiatives that we have because it really touches all aspects of, of not just students with disabilities, but, but, students without disabilities, right? Because inclusion is not just about how can we create these general ed experiences for students with disabilities, but how can we normalize relationships between 
disabled, non-disabled, you know, that learning environment that really supports all aspects of kids. And so I think that um, care, I mean, the work at Region 20, I, I've been a fan of that for many years back when I was a director and, and the PGC and the AGC, all the stuff you guys pumped out was just some of the best, I think, um, documents and, and support documents that we've had in the state of Texas. So I, I'm with you, Pam. I'm excited to have you guys on. I wish I could take credit for all of that. I inherited a lot of good stuff. So I was able to just kind of build on what Aaron did before Aaron and then Lisa was in there and Dawn was in there. So, um, yeah, we've got some good stuff. Well, getting started, like I know going in, um, we're, Pam and I are real happy to be kind of in this spot right now to really be able to showcase some of our networks across the state. And I think if you are a practitioner, a lot of times these are a little bit removed from what a teacher does in the classroom on a daily basis or the, the, the myriad tasks that a director is trying to manage on a regular basis. And so I used to say that some of our networks and in, in, in like PGC were some of the best hidden little secrets we had in Texas because just so many people didn't even know this great stuff was out there. So if you guys want to just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you've got going on with the new network and how that stuff kind of ties in and relates to the people that are familiar with PGC and some of those older um, reliable documents that are out there. Well, I think uh, inclusion in Texas network has continued the work of the progress in the general curriculum and we're just enhancing everything they did. So um, we've got a lot of good stuff going on. And I just wanted to say that you mentioned that inclusion is so important. And I have spent my entire educational career working with those kids that don't fit in, whether they're mm -hmm. general ed that don't fit in or kids with disabilities. And I completely agree with you that this isn't just about our kids with disabilities. It's making everybody comfortable in a classroom and making them feel like they're just part of a family, you yeah. know, in a family environment in there. Yeah, so I would hopefully pick back on that, Kara. That's exactly right. You know, our kids are gen ed kids first. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's easily forgotten. Um, I also want to just jump in real quick, and then I'm going to be quiet while Kara talks. But um, mm -hmm. exciting thing to me, John, when you were talking about being kind of a hidden gem, um, is that what our network is putting out in terms of trainings and resources are, are resources that teachers in the classroom uh, are going to be able to use immediately. So it's not something like, um, you know, it, it's, it is great information. We have information that's supportive of administration and, and, and people like that as well, but we're really, we have a heart for our teachers, mm -hmm. giving them the best, the best evidence-based practices that we can to help them create inclusive settings for kids. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I know so often we, depending on where, where we sit and where our uh, areas of influence are, sometimes we feel the, you know, the more you, the longer you stay in education, the more removed from the classroom you start to feel. And mm -hmm. I feel like TEA and, and, and our ESCs have really been intentional to really get back to how do we support that teacher in that classroom? Right. How do we provide supports? Of course, we're going to support our our campus administrators and our directors and our superintendents. That's a given. But so often there is that 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 information flow kind of the teachers are the last ones to get it, not the first ones when sometimes this stuff should be going straight to them. And so I love that, Laura, that you mentioned that. Yeah, and that's one of next year uh, is one of our wishes, I guess, one of our goals is to do some more marketing and get this stuff out 
to teachers because they don't know about it. And it's, I've been to conferences in the past with PGC material and people just walk right by the, the, the booth because they'd never heard of us, you know? And then when they stop and actually look at stuff, they're like, where has this been? Why don't I know about this? So yeah, we need to get it out there. I think our, our, well, I don't think, I know our goal with the Inclusion in Texas um, network is to try and close that gap between our kids that have disabilities and those kids that um, do not have disabilities. Cause we know that they're just not progressing in the general curriculum like they should be. And so that's really one of our main goals is to build a capacity within districts to support educators so that our kids get that instruction they really need that meets those specific needs. So they don't just have access to the curriculum but they actually grow and progress um, and we close those gaps for those kids. So we've got lots of good resources for that and some really good stuff coming. I think the most visible thing we have right now is our website. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, inclusiontx.org. And right now we pulled um, some stuff from the old PGC network over into our new website. We have reading and math resources. We have resources um, from some of the state guidance documents that we've had in the past, like co-teaching, specially designed instruction. Um, what else? Working with parents. Yeah, yeah working, working with, with parents, parents. co-teaching. Yeah. I said that I think already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grading and progress monitoring. So those are all state guidance documents that are just, they're full of information and we're starting to revise those and get the, the most current research in those. So, you know, be on the lookout for those coming out, uh, especially next year. That's great. So, so we can expect for those to, to still be there for, for those out there that are used to having access to those. They'll just be updated and improved. Yeah. In fact, the, the old PGC network is still live because we don't want any of that to go away. So as, as we transition to the new documents, we just um, move, stay, move things from the PGC website over to the new Inclusion in Texas. Sure. So how long will that PGC, is that going to be something that stays live kind of uh, just during that transition period and as things move over and as people begin to understand that, hey, this is here, but it's also linked here, then eventually they'll know, look, all of this is over on that Inclusion in Texas website. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's true. It'll just be there until we can um, get all the materials um, transferred over to the, the new website. One thing I heard, you know, with, with the COVID shutdown, <laughs> the new COVID life, is that <laughs> just listening to uh, special ed directors uh, was that students that were in general, the special ed students that were in general education classrooms which were faring much better than those that were in resource classrooms because they were able to receive instructions that they were used to getting and that the special ed teachers really kind of struggle with how do we make, you know, do the teach or the text, whatever you say, however you say it, uh, and, you know, and provide that instruction at home. And that, that when we think about COVID or when we think about, you know, the hybrid model of either being in class or, or online, that how important it is that when we, you know, to look at inclusion, mm -hmm. because even parents said, you know, my child might have struggled in the regular classroom, but since he had time or she had time to complete it or we needed clarification, she was able to text the teacher or whatever, you know, to get that clarification. I think also teachers were very mindful about ensuring that students could access their lessons and, mm -hmm. and doing those accommodations for every, you know, for the students that need accommodations or those students who need, you know, modified curriculum, that it wasn't in a weird way, 
being away from the day-to-day -day grind of teaching, like mm -hmm. traditional teaching, mm -hmm. <laughs> made teachers aware of different things they could use to reach all their learners. Yeah. And this has been so interesting to hear people talk about, you know, wow, I was able to do this for my students, which I might not have thought about doing if I was still doing the face-to-face -face yeah. work. Is in, has anybody else heard things like this or it's just I'm living in a world? <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you, Pam. I think what it is is a lot of teachers have had a moment to breathe, right? Educators have had this, not just this, this global you know, experience where we're all kind of experiencing the same thing at the same time together across the globe, which is in some ways very humbling, but I think it also has allowed us time to take stock and to really have a little bit more time to process and to reflect on practice and to explore and to consider things we may have forgotten or missed or that we wanted to circle back to, but we just in our daily grind didn't have the time to do so. So Pam, I think you're right. I've seen evidence of that in uh, a lot of our, a lot of educators who have reached out and that say, look, you know, I mean, I feel like in some ways I'm more connected to the parents right now. I'm more connected to the students right now because we have kind of these regular zoom meetings, these regular, and, and, and it's very intentional the time that we spend together. And so, it's, it's an interesting insight. Laura? Yeah, I, think, I think that one area that we're going to really grow in is, um, and that we need to do a lot more thinking and learning about, um, is progress monitoring and providing interventions in a virtual setting, mm -hmm. how that works. Actually, we're doing, we just finished a community of practice through TEA and uh, the National Centers on Intensive Intervention with a small group of Texas teachers um, practicing those virtual interventions and things. And for their final projects, it was really interesting to see their problem of practice and then what they found to kind of uh, meet a very specific need that they were having. Um, but I think that that's ongoing learning that, that we're going to be very well poised to kind of start making those problem of practices as our teachers mm -hmm. and, and finding innovative solutions to them. It's kind of exciting. I don't know that this online um, learning is going to go away completely, even after um, we've beat COVID. Uh, I just, it's too appropriate for some kids. Yeah. They just do better that way. Yeah, it really, it really has been one of those things, I think, that has been in the background of these conversations we've had for years, which is how do we ramp up and really meet um, the educational needs of our 21st century learners who are, you know, digital natives, and they could teach us a lesson or two about this stuff. And so I feel like this is not just our wake up call, but what an opportunity, what an opportunity for, for us to say, hey, you know, out of necessity, but even beyond that, you know, this is our opportunity to catch up a little bit with, with, with the technological advances, but also with um, exploiting some of these resources to help learning the learning process and so yeah I think that Carrie you're spot on with that and I think it's for teachers also I mean we've been trying to do that for years everybody keeps saying we need to do more online learning for educators and um, this forced mm -hmm. our we had to now and so it's been interesting to see what my colleagues have been able to do for online learning that we would probably not have thought about six eight months ago you know? sure and so one, one of the things the Inclusion in Texas Network is doing, we've got um, two trainings coming out 
um, statewide. We have a math training um, and uh, reading training coming out for the other ESCs to train. They're aligned with the math and reading academies, but they focus on those students that, are, um, that need inclusive practices. Those will be coming out virtually as well next year. So our teachers will be able to attend those in their pajamas yeah. <laughs> online as well. Right, business on the top and pajamas on the That's bottom. Right. Right. <laughs> That's the new norm. <laughs> so well, you said those will be facilitated through the ESCs? Yes. So awesome. we'll be, this year we're rolling out uh, the trainer trainers for the service centers. And then um, in the spring, I'm sorry, in the fall, they'll be able to do those trainings virtually. And then in the spring, they can turn them around face-to-face, -face, hopefully be able to turn them around face-to-face -face for their clients as well in their regions. So, you know, as we think about inclusion and we think about the virtual world, you know, what do you think, oh, I'm just gonna throw this out, you know, what do you think about, what would inclusion look like in a virtual setting? It's hmm. a great question. gonna ask that question besides Yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> you know, I almost think I don't know, I may be really off here. No, no wrong answer. But it would be a little easier to do, to make sure everybody is included because you see everybody's face. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you're almost more intimate uh -huh. with people instead of looking at it to see a faces in a classroom. Um, and that brings those kids more into your headspace. Mm -hmm. So you don't, they don't fall through the cracks as easily. I mean, I may be way off on that, but that's just my thinking. Um, and that it, there's also, if they're learning at home and we don't have all the materials they may need, we're having to get creative. And so that helps the learning at home as well. So if the kids are going, oh, okay, I don't have a bookmark to help me with this, but I can grab this piece of paper or this ruler or whatever that's at, ha at my house to um, help me keep reading and not skip lines. Mm -hmm. then I can do that at home. I don't have to be at school to learn mm -hmm. this. I can be anywhere and yeah. use these accommodations or, you know, modify whatever they need. Yeah. yeah, I would also, I would add to that, Kara, I think you're absolutely spot on. And I think that technology is a great leveler of the playing field. And yeah. so now we have a situation where um, in a lot of cases, it's not one student has a piece of technology and the rest of the class is learning in a different format. Mm -hmm. The whole class has the same technology mm -hmm. and you couldn't tell the difference between one student or another if you were just to look at that, either if it's a face-to-face setting and all the students have a Chromebook, mm -hmm. or if they're all learning from home, mm -hmm. you know, and then the, that student who may need accommodations um, has them embedded. So for example, if I, if I need speech to text or text to speech, it's simply an, an, an app or an extension that I have already on my, my laptop, which mm -hmm. all my other peers have that as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I could use it too. That's right. So now my, my accommodation, which is in my plan and everything has now become a universal support. Mm -hmm. So the benefit goes both ways. Yeah. And that that what inclusion is all about that there's a benefit to my general education peers and there's a benefit to me and it's a leveler playing field yeah so i mean i think extremely exciting um the other thing that the inclusion in texas website has um and that we're continuing to build is our at resources mm. as well so i mean i think that all of that just goes hand in hand and i think more and more assistive technology is going to play a much more prominent role mm -hmm. 
how we plan the lessons and how we provide instruction. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think, Laura, the, the idea that, you know, the assistive technology piece has been a piece that has been hit or miss in a lot of our schools for many years that I've experienced a lot sometimes in your small rural schools, if you, if, if, if they lack either the, um, you know, the, the resources, the, the technology, the Wi-Fi, things like that, but more and more and more, we're seeing schools that have more and more access to these things. I know there's still a divide between those that can stream it in faster, you know, and the others that just really struggle to, but at the end of the day, I feel like it, with this network, uh, inclusion in Texas, being able to take a leading role in that and creating kind of that, that avenue, to these assistive technology, um, um, whether they be programs, whether they be ideas, whether they be techniques, approaches, things like that, will just serve to improve that across really the state. And that's an area we've struggled. And so I think that's huge. The other thing is that, you know, I think about inclusion and I think about how the goal is not necessarily that we you know, give everybody what they need all the time. It's that we create like this uh, autonomy in kids, right? That, that it's not a teacher that has to mandate a kid has this or doesn't have that. It's that students learn to be kind of self-directed and say, hey, here's this tool. I know how to use it. I'm going to use this feature because it helps me. And, and you're going to use that feature because it helps you. And then they come back into the, 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 that's where I feel like this could really move us forward. Even when kids come back to the building and are there and they say, hey, miss, remember, I need text to speech. You know, the whole last year I've been doing that. I do great on that. But, and that's, I think what we want are these kids that can show us as adults, hey, here's what I need. And this is why I need it. So I feel like that's just another kind of little silver lining here. Yeah, perfectly said. That's kind of what I was trying to express. I just didn't do it as well as you did. <laughs> you did fine. Oh, you did great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, just, go go ahead. Ahead. no I, I think it's just an interesting time. I mm -hmm. just think about, you know, all the barriers, you know, with inclusion, you know, all the reason why we can't do it. And now because we're thrown in a situation where we really have to do it because mm -hmm. kids are, you know, are needing those accommodations and we have to meet their needs whether you know if they're learning virtually and how teachers have stepped up and probably some who who really don't realize the things that they said they can't do they are not doing you know so i think it's i just find it to be interesting and somewhat before you know heartwarming before i do my big exit out of here mm -hmm. so i get to see it <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, and that brings to mind universal design, right? Right. Exactly. Some modules that the network is putting out, they're just about ready, um, are modules that are interactive and um, easy for teachers to learn about UDL practices to use in, in their whatever their learning environment is at that time. And I think that that really does speak to that tier one, having a robust tier one Support is all about what you just said, Pam, is about removing barriers. Yes. And so that's another great resource that the network's going to be, that's going to have available. But I think more and more learning about UDL and actually implementing that kind of lesson planning, you know, planning for the kids in the margins helps all kids. Mm -hmm. Also helps teachers, right? Mm -hmm. 
approach to making an inclusive environment. So another exciting thing from inclusion. Yeah, that's right. great. You know, you think about it, at the end of the day, I, I, I always like to say, I used to tell my teachers, like if, if at the end of the day, you are more exhausted than the kids, then it's backwards, right? <laughs> we have to create the opportunities for kids to really own the learning, own the activities, own the process. And you're there to facilitate that learning and make sure that, you know, they're moving in the right direction and that you're, 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 you're spot checking for understanding and those kinds of things. But not that, you know, we used to be as teachers, as educators, we had to be the most entertaining, interesting people in the room. Well, now we need to be less entertaining and more or less interesting and more interested in what's going on around us so that we can tune into those things and help those kids become the interesting people that that they are and that they need to become so that they can move successfully through their educational opportunities so yeah i think one thing that's i'm really excited about for next year is we're collaborating with a couple of other networks mm. um with texas can and also, I can't think of the network, but it's the multiple dis, um, multiple exceptionalities. Multiple exceptionalities. Thank mm -hmm. you. Amen. Yes. So we're really taking in the entire spectrum of of kids. It's not just. I guess I feel like some people have this belief that inclusion is for those kids that would they're okay. They're, they don't have a lot of learning problems. You know, mm -hmm. it's just they're behind a little bit with some mm -hmm. disabilities. But really, inclusion anybody and everybody can be included mm -hmm. in the classroom. So I'm really excited, really, especially to be um, working with Texas CAN next year. And, um, and then also the multiple dis uh, exceptionalities because yeah. we're going to get everybody in there. That's positive. And early childhood, we're working with them too. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's where it all starts. Yeah. The early childhood. I feel like, you know, you create experiences for children to enter a system whether you have one arm or two arms, one eye or two eyes, you can read well, you can do math, you can do, but you put them in there, they learn together, they, and then in third grade and fifth grade, and when they go out into the world and hire people, they don't see a kid with a disability or without arm, they see their friend, hey, there's Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, come here. I know you're good at these things. Let me hire you to do this or that. And so we normalize that stuff early on. And, and I feel like that's where I, I, I am excited to see more and more attention paid to that early childhood, that entry into our system. Mm -hmm. And how do we normalize it from that point forward? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we, you talk about uh, information for parents, you know, one mm -hmm. thing I th was thinking about is that, that when I, I served as the state lead for the parent network for TEA and mm. and one thing we 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 were going through was that you know we had gone through a phase where parents were apologizing for their kids mm -hmm. you know I'm sorry that my child has a disability and basically infringing on you and then went from that mode to you know the, the anger and the fight mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna fight you, the school district, or with whomever, for everything for my child because you're you're not valuing my child. And now I think we're at a place where parents are wanting you to see their child as they're seeing their child yeah. as a person, as a one, as a person with abilities as opposed to disabilities, and that they are you know a lot of parents are including their kids in family activities. They're not leaving these kids at home. They're not you know, placing them somewhere. And so when you were talking about working with Texas CAN and, and, you know, looking at kids with multiple disabilities, you know, why aren't they in the classrooms? You know, why aren't they getting the opportunity to learn and to hear? 
Because what we're seeing is on the other end of the spectrum, once they get ready to exit high school, those students that were included were much better than those students who were in self-contained classrooms yeah. majority of their education career. Yeah. And, you know, and families who are fighting for those inclusion, you know, want their child included mm -hmm. people, you know, it's one of those, I mean, I can, you know, I can understand both sides, but I think from a parent perspective is that it, since there's no special ed McDonald's, mm -hmm. there's no special ed mall, you know, and I, my child has to operate within this community, then I want my child to have every experience he or she can have and in an inclusive setting. So yeah. yes, it's in the class, maybe in the classroom setting. And no, they won't be able to learn algebra to the extent that their non-disabled peers are, are learning it. But they can learn something. They can gain information and knowledge and become part of that learning community. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of inclusion. I think that's, you know, mm -hmm. that we should be willing to work toward, you know, educating kids to the best of their abilities and not what we can deem as our ability, you know, <laughs> as a teacher <laughs> that, you know, oh, you know, I teach science. Well, no, actually you teach kids. <laughs> you know, Amen. Science, science yeah. is just the content. You know? right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's a long-term goal of, of our, our network. Um, overall, you know, what we would like is to start seeing creating frameworks that LEAs can use to transition from that traditional siloed educational model um, into an inclusive model. Mm -hmm. so definitely that's on our radar and, and something that we'll be working towards long-term. Yeah, that's exciting to hear. You know, I, I've said a few times and, and sometimes not real popular when I say it, but, you know, we wouldn't need to include kids if our systems weren't exclusionary, right? So right. that's not popular to hear. And I think sometimes people say, what do you mean? I don't, you know, and, but, you know, I say like when I think about my own children at home and what I want for them, you know, I want them to be challenged and accepted. I want them to be, to feel like they belong in whatever setting they're in, even if they struggle in that setting, I want them to believe that, hey, I have a place here. And mm -hmm. isn't that what we all want for our own children? So when we put ourselves into that seat of whoever you are, mom, dad, cousin, uncle, whoever's raising this kid, that kid, the other kid, at the end of the day, we all want the same things for our kids. It's just, it's not an us or them. It's just, yeah, all. So how do we kind of navigate some of the barriers, some of the constraints, some of the systemic things that are in place that kind of put into the minds of adults sometimes where kids belong or where they don't belong, and then create that um, um, educational experience for kids where it doesn't matter where they step foot, it doesn't matter where they sit down, that they have a seat at the table, they have a reason to be there, they have purpose, they can learn, and they can add value to that mm -hmm. setting. To me, that's inclusion versus mainstreaming. You know, that's, I think, right. yeah, we came out of that procedural compliance phase with no child left behind and a lot of things we've been doing. It's just, but now we're in a different phase, you know, and now we're into that effectiveness phase, right? Now it's like, are our practices effective? Which mm -hmm. the emphasis now is let's look at the child and are they learning? Not so much at the teacher and how are they acting on stage? And so I think all that ties into the work you're doing here with the Inclusion Network. And what are you thinking? Oh, I was just going to ask, is there anything else you, you ladies want to share with us? Because John and I can just talk. That, we just go. We just go, especially him. So <laughs> Guilty. You know, John, John, when you were talking about the what you just said, 
a lot of times when I do workshops for teachers on inclusion, one of the things I have them talk about is just what does it mean to be included? And I said, don't think about school at all. Just think about your neighborhood, your family, your friends. Yeah. What does it mean to include people mm-hmm. in your group? You know, and what does it feel like to not be included mm-hmm. in that? And how do your friends or family include you? What actions do you take yeah. to make sure everybody's engaged? And yeah. like you said, they, they have value as part of that community. Yeah. And then we try and transfer that to to the school setting. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause it really goes back to not so much where you sit, but it's what, how you feel. Right. Like how I feel right. as a child walking into a system that doesn't want me to be there or right. how I feel walking into a classroom with coach King who saw value in me when I was a kid and said, John, there's more to you, man. You don't have to drop out in 10th grade. You can get your doctorate degree at Baylor. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what? You know? And so that's what I think it is. It's like what, like so often it's kind of like what we see in kids is what they see in themselves. So it's how can we just see value instead of deficit? You know, and that's inclusion. That is inclusion. Hey, you have something that's special about you. I'm gonna figure it out. And you're gonna help me figure it out. And you're gonna know what it is when we leave this class. You know, that's to me what we're striving for. And I think that that that's systemic change, right? It's a systemic and cultural change that has to take place. And and that may take a little bit of time. to wrap their minds around it, but the, the power in what the Inclusion Network is doing, as well as the statewide leadership networks, the other ones through TEA that we have, um, we're giving the resources and the tools and the knowledge to teachers to enable them to make those changes, mm-hmm. right? If you want to make a change, but you don't know how, then that's a barrier. Mm-hmm. It's easier to stay where I'm comfortable because I know how to do comfortable. I don't know how to do this new thing, even though I might want to, right? Um, and so kind of putting the, the tools in place and the supports in place to make that happen, um, I think that that's very, very powerful right now. And I think that we're building a foundation where we can actually make systemic change something that occurs. Yeah, well said. And I think we're also building in longevity with that, Laura. I don't, you know, so many times we have this, this is what we're going to do this year, and the next year we're going to change it. But with the way the networks are working, we're building from one year to the next. And so mm-hmm. things, it's taking longer, which is good to get things in place. Right. So we actually have a foundation before we just jump off the cliff and start with something, you know. So I think the longevity of this um, systemic change is what's going to make it successful. Mm-hmm. Like you said, longevity, I think sustainability. That this will right. continue after whether I'm in this role or the next person that we're creating that foundation that will be, you know, kind of like compliance is now the foundation we have to have in place so that our new ceiling is outcomes used to be most of what we did in special ed was around compliance because that's how we were monitored. And so now the mindsets are starting to understand, Oh, I get it. I mean, the compliance, those are just the rules and the things we have to do. That's important. We have to have that stuff. We have to have a foundation in place so we can, so we can shoot right for that new ceiling, which are the outcomes, the achievement, the, the growth. It doesn't matter how compliant we are if kids aren't learning. Right. And so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. When you think about compliance, I mean, that's really the minimal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's not the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really going to be the result and, and, you know, and our students achieving. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 
that's the question we have not been able to answer. You know, well, or we can look at our data and say, well, not looking good here. Not so <laughs> you know? much, but yeah. yeah. So, but I think it is focusing on the results and, and then really more focusing on the students and, and making sure they are in those environments, those open environments that are welcoming are not seeing them as, you know, well, he has to be in here or, yeah. or uh, you know, the parents pushing for, but I don't, I'm not sure why the parents think, you know, of course in the school to do this or that, you know, it's really about, as I used to tell people, you know, if you look at your contract, when you sign a contract with, with the school district, it, it doesn't say you only get to teach the best and the brightest. Yeah. You know, there's no contract that says that, you know, you know, you, you, know, you are assigned to the campus and you teach whoever comes through the door, thus public education mm -hmm. that, you know, that we're not guaranteed the best and the brightest, that we are to teach, you know, every student. And, and, and for some, it is challenging. It is, it is definitely challenging, but it doesn't mean we don't step up to the challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, it just means that, okay, we might have to try harder. We might have to find some, you know, do something new or ask somebody, you know, what can I do with this child? As opposed to saying he or she doesn't belong in my classroom. I think that was my bet, my biggest pet peeve when someone told me, well, they don't belong. And I'm like, whoa, you know, someone not belong. Yeah, I think, school. Pam, you know, you know, I always like to say like a system always gives you exactly what it's designed to give you. And and I and not that, you know, I feel like everywhere you go, like if when you get up close to someone and get to know them, you end up liking them or disliking them. But, you know, they're in it usually in education because they want to teach kids. They want to make a difference. It's just it's all of this noise and these constraints and these these different forces pushing in on them that inhibit them. Kind of, Laura, like you said, like a lot of people want to do. They just don't know how and they feel so pressured and they don't quite know how to get there. And so for me, it's like, how do we, one, um, make everyone feel like, look, it's perfectly okay to be exactly where you are you're right where you should be in your development but now like knowing it because you don't want to put people on edge of feeling bad or nothing but then now how how do we help you or how do you help yourself move forward right because right. i mean education is about learning not teaching right it's it's it, that's the whole process. And that's what I love about what's going on in Texas right now with our networks, with the redesign with SPED, with mm -hmm. just a lot. I mean, not that everything's perfect. You can find anything wrong with anything you want to look at. But at the end of the day, Texas really is kind of shaking and moving right now as far as like, what are we doing for kids? And how are right. we focusing on how we are preparing kids or not preparing them for their future? So to me, that's exciting. It is, and, and that brings to mind one thing that, Kara, I, I had forgotten to add. Um, you know, it's, we're trying to move away also from that sit and get professional development where come in and we'll just, we'll just over a day, you take our little materials back and then hope you use them, right? I mean, we don't do that to kids. So why would we do that to our teachers? Um, so, you know, we are looking at coaching systems and providing some, some coaching cycles for teachers who would be interested in that after our trainings. Um, and I think that that's very valuable in helping teachers make that jump, right? Between now, not only have I been to a training and I have the information, I'm getting some support in implementing this and making it successful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know that with our kids, when they're learning a new skill, they may try it once and it doesn't work for them and they get frustrated. Our teachers are no different. That's right. 
building in those supports um, for, for some coaching is really important as well. And so that's another area that our network and all of the networks are also going to be looking at is coaching cycles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Just because you think about it, like we, one thing we know through research is that it takes embedded supports, ongoing supports. It takes coaching. It takes, that's one of the things I think Pam and I both enjoy as liaisons is that we get a little more time to spend with, you know, those educators out in the field we're supporting and not that we're the coaches telling them all what to do, but that we can really kind of get up beside them and say, let help me understand where your struggles are and let me. And so that's, what's exciting for ESCs out there that have our liaisons all around the state now is we get to kind of engage in some of that, coaching as well and I mean I think firsthand I've seen how powerful it is for um, practitioners that just really need more than just to come in and sit and get a training they need someone that they can pick up the phone and call they need someone that'll come out and spend a few hours with them they need someone that you know that's how we kind of person to person and system to system we kind of start seeing those changes I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is a little bit off topic but one of the things that I've noticed um, at our service center anyway at region 20 is that our consultants started having office hours where they were just available for anybody to call and ask questions. And I thought, you know, that's something that we probably ought to keep because mm -hmm. of what you just said, John, so that they, they're doing a lesson and it didn't go well. They can call and say, here's what I did. Help me. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. what, what can I do? Yeah. At yeah. Region 20, we have from one to four every day, we do parent calls and parent know they know they can call us with questions but i think that needs to go to teachers gosh that'd be huge available so much more available to them mm -hmm. and i think some of that really and truly is attributable to tea and to the, the the position that they've tried to take of having more of a two-way conversation you know between the agency and ESCs and ESCs and LEAs and LEAs and the agency. And it's like, Hey, listen, we've tried this one way flow of information and we always end up with kinks in the chain. And so what if we tried to really be humble and open about up and say, look, let's all kind of share and, and, and learn together. And that way we can really be more um, cognizant to what is really going on with the boots on the ground kind of from moment to moment rather than from school year to school year and the whole idea of of lead measures and just it's just I don't know I, it, it's refreshing uh, to me and I enjoy the work because I enjoy that we're moving in a direction that feels like like we're really taking action mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I completely agree yep well Pam yep. Uh, I know we can keep going you know me I girl know, but I know you can, but Kara has an appointment. So I know. We're not going to keep going. So, so sometimes we do this little game, and what we try, what we ask every participant is to uh, think about where you are, think about inclusion in Texas, and if you could, if you could sum it up in one word, what would it be? Um, belonging. Mm. That's a good one. That's good. I, can I agree with Kara? <laughs> no, no, we don't play that. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. Oh, I like belonging. Um, I guess I would say then, wow, that's really hard. Um, unity then, which is kind of. Yeah, that's a good one, unity. 
Pam, are we going to do one? Yeah, go you ahead, know, I always want to throw it in. I know you always want to jump in. Mine is, and I may have used this in the past, but this is kind of where I tend to spend time in my head, and that's possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we spend so much time thinking about disability, thinking about what, you know, and, and, and our systems are set up to where, you know, I mean, hey, look, you, you have to justify why you receive a service or a intervention. Or that, you know, that's okay. But just because the system is designed that way doesn't mean we have to stay focused into the dis part. We could focus in the possibilities. So I think inclusion always makes me think about what's possible. You know, what could we achieve? That's cool. Okay. And I think mine would be mindfulness. Mm. Mm. Mindfulness that we're really mindful of kids and what it is they need, what they need and how do we, and even mindful of teachers mm-hmm. and how to prepare them for this environment that you, know, you can't go in not preparing teachers and, and be very, like I said, mindful of students as well as the educators. That's mm-hmm. be my word, mindfulness. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, guys, I, I we really appreciate y'all coming on and spending a little time with us today. It takes courage to put yourself out there and to be willing to, you know, get online and talk about the things you're passionate about. But I'll tell you, we really appreciate it. And we're super excited to highlight the amazing things that are going on, uh, you know, with the Texas, the Inclusion in Texas Network. So until we meet again. <laughs> To continue to elevate the conversation, hit us up on Twitter at SpedTalk2020, where you can find links to all of our episodes and each of the resources that we discussed today. John, also links to the resources will be available at our podcast site. And if you found these resources helpful, be sure to share them with, with a friend because information should always flow through us, not to us. That will do it for this episode of Sped Talk. And remember, courage creates culture and kindness keeps us connected. Until the next time, I'm Pam. And I've been John. And this is Sped Talk. Living in the moment and the moment is the future.